We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Today on Watching Your Wealth, what to do if you're married to a big spender. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Kevin Meehan is a financial advisor and regional president of Wealth Enhancement Group. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Veronica. Kevin, so this can be a really touchy situation if you're married to someone who likes to spend money and likes to spend a little too much. So how do we handle it? I, I know one of the first things you had said to me when you talked before was, you know, be compassionate. So tell us about that one. Well, you're correct. This is a touchy subject. Uh, one of the major stressors in many uh, couples. Right, it is. Uh, when, we say, when we think about being compassionate, I think of a couple of different things, uh, actually more than that. One is recognize spending is a learned behavior, and it's unlikely to change quickly, if at all. Uh, I think also you want to be real. Spenders often live more in the moment and make life more exciting very often. Uh, acknowledge the spending and let them know, even though they might be different than you, you love them for their zest and their enthusiasm <laughs> to go out and do things. And be honest about the fact that you're simply of a different mindset. You're not wired the same way they are. And so, therefore, this is an area that you're probably going to have to do some work on. I would indeed. And we're, I guess we should differentiate. We're not necessarily talking about people with like like an addiction, like a spending addiction. We're just talking about people who probably spend, you know, living above their means, which is not a good thing to do. We're not recommending that by any means, but it's causing stress and the marriage is causing stress for that person because they maybe they're single and they can't pay their bills, whatever the situation. Um, Correct. We're not, yeah. we're, not, we're not talking about behavior that needs serious Intervention. professional counseling. I it's see. It's usually just someone who's spending more than they can afford to and still meet their most important objectives. So in terms of strategies to help rein them in, if that's the right word, in terms of reining in, um, logic, you said, is a way to reason with them? I, I think where logic plays into it is if you can provide some examples that the spender can relate to, it may cause them to reevaluate their spending patterns. But a couple of, a couple of uh, examples there is, for example, let's just say we're talking about a 30-year-old couple, and they're out looking for cars, and they find a car that's $50,000 that they're very interested in. But the person that might be more conservative says, well, why don't we look at this $24,000 car and imagine what we could do with the $26,000 that we don't spend? And so an example might be, well, if we don't spend that $26,000 and if we have the good fortune of that growing by 8% a year in a tax-deferred basis in something like a 401k or an IRA, that $26,000 could be 384419 at age 65 when maybe we want to be able to retire. If, on the other hand, 
you're thinking about that newborn child that we have, and we put that $26,000 towards our education fund, and we have the same good fortune getting 8% tax deferred uh, in, for example, a 529, that would be $103,000 uh, in, in 18 years that we would have available for, vaca- uh, for education costs. Now, and that so- might, I would think, you know, just to interrupt you, sorry, I, that might wow some people for the moment, but I would think... Maybe that would change behavior in the moment, potentially. But I would think some people would be like, you know what? I'd rather still go on vacation. What do you say? <laughs> well, I would I would suggest it, to us this whole spending issue is people understanding what is most important to them, not just short-term, but on an intermediate and long-term basis. And then ultimately... What you're trying to do as a couple is let's try and align our decisions with what we have jointly decided on being our most important objectives. I think, for example, you know, a Quicken or some of the uh, the resources that people use to track their cash flow are great tools just for that reason, because you see your spending categorized. And then you have some data to reflect on where your money is going and relate that to what you're saying is your most important objective. So it sounds like common goals are important. So what are some ways we can find those goals and kind of work towards them? Well, I, I think that uh, if for, for a lot of folks, they have to get past money being a taboo subject. And so I I believe that if you have open conversations where you're talking about things, what's our housing objectives? What's our travel objectives? What are our car objectives? If we have children, education objectives, or if we're trying to further our own education. I think you really have to have those conversations that very honestly, many people never have. And if you have those conversations and you can come to some level of agreement on what you're jointly saying is is the most important combined objectives, we see a lot of success. We see a lot of people change behavior and redirect because of the fact that they've had that conversation. And that's Very often the challenge if you're married to a spender um, and you're not, you're more of a saver, is you instead have the potential to judge their behavior because it's contrary to your value system, and you really haven't had that conversation of what's our combined value system to get to a a better place, which is usually the middle ground. Yeah, maybe spend a little bit more than you would like, but maybe save a little bit more than I'm inclined to. I think finding that middle ground and, and those shared goals is a great idea, get everyone on board. In terms of keeping that spender accountable, without judging, without nagging, and alienating them, how do we do that? It's not easy. We first have to understand that if we make this a, a judgment call of their choices, we're unlikely to get the desired result that we would want for trying to manage a spender uh, partner. So one is some of the things we've already discussed. I, I believe following, uh, you know, having, having those conversations relative to your stated objectives is key. Um, I think another way 
to manage uh, the spending behavior is give them some latitude of a certain amount of money that they might receive on a monthly basis or per the joint paychecks where they can just spend it without worrying about being judged on how it's being spent. Um, and, and then I think always going back to if, if, you know, if you're, there's a, a mismanagement of money relative to those stated objectives, I think you have to continue to go back and, and, and revisit, don't we want our spending aligned with what we said are our most important objectives? So I, I, think, uh, I think also having a, um, a periodic conversation, I, we've seen some people that will schedule a monthly conversation to, hey, how are we doing relative to our spending, relative to our saving, relative to our incomes? Are we tracking as we had said that we would like to on a monthly basis? Mm-hmm. So I, I think you can get away from nagging, but to do that, you probably need to have a little bit more structure on when and how those conversations are had. Indeed. Structure is great. I think also cheering them on when they do something well. So, hey, you saved more in your 401k this month or you saved, you boosted our emergency fund by another $50, whatever that achievement is, calling them out and reinforcing the behavior, so to speak, that you want to see might be a way to change, too. We would absolutely agree with that. One of the things that's a bit of a challenge when someone is in the early stages of saving is saving, it will sometimes say, is somewhat boring because you don't have the momentum yet of compounding. But once you've accumulated a reasonable amount uh, in savings, and if some of that is positioned to have a uh, take advantage of opportunity of rate of return, compounding can really get people excited because they're sometimes stunned by how much money they're making on their money. It really is. So very often, you got to get through that saving phase to get to the exciting phase of compounding. Right, yeah, that's much more of a a thrill seeing that compounding in your 401k or whatever account versus buying that latest toy. I think that's that's a really excellent point. It's kind of slow early. Right, but then eventually catches up, and you're like, wow, that that was smart of me to do. I'm glad I did it. Kevin, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'd love for you to take our fun financial quiz. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, this is Paul Gigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. Now it's time for financial advisor Kevin Meehan to take our fun financial quiz. Kevin, you ready? I am ready. All right. Best financial advice you ever heard? Pay yourself first. Love that. Worst financial advice? Rate of return is more important than your rate of savings. Interesting. Fill in the blank. Money can buy? Less stress is what money can buy. Oh, yeah. Fill in the blank. Money can't buy. Money can't buy happiness. True. And if you want a million dollars after tax, 
what would you do with it? I would give 10% immediately to my charity of choice. I would allocate 70% to long-term objectives such as retirement. And then I would take 20% and spend it on a short-term luxury item or experience. That sounds fantastic. A lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. Thanks a lot. And do you have a personal finance question you'd like us to answer? Email us at podcast at DowJones.com. This has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at WSJ.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices.